You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Last year, the yoga industry experienced seismic shifts, the like of which I've never seen before. And frankly, for most of them, I hope never to see them again. Some changes were positive, like the increased awareness of racial equity issues in the wellness space, but most of them were devastating, such as the huge number of yoga studios who closed their doors for good. While I think we're all hoping for a return to some semblance of normal this year, the truth is we can't go back in time. Whatever normal means in the future, it's going to have to be a new normal. On the podcast today, I'm joined by the founders of the yoga tech companies, Yoga Trail and Ubindi, to talk about the future of the yoga industry. Alex Klein and Alex Jatan, that's right, they are both named Alex and they're married to each other, offer a bird's eye view of the yoga economy before, during, and after COVID-19. If you're a yoga teacher who's thinking about your future and you want some insight onto what to expect moving forward and how to plan for the new normal, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Let's jump right in and I will see you on the other side. Alex and Alex, welcome to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Hi. Thank you for having us. So you guys have been in the yoga world for a really long time. It would be awesome if you could start with a really brief introduction with how you got into yoga and your history leading you up to today. I'm actually not a yogi. I don't practice yoga and I don't teach yoga. Um, but why I'm really into the in the yoga world is I'm, I'm a co-founder of a platform called Yoga Trail. It's a big yoga portal with 80,000 teachers and yoga studios and yoga retreats and all sorts of yoga related things. Um, and we've been running that for the last eight, almost nine years. Um, do you want to talk about your yoga experience? Yeah, I got into yoga, oh, I think it must, must have been over 10 years ago when we were traveling in, in India and then just, you know, fell in love with the practice and doing my yoga practice and the the idea for yoga trail came from basically me trying to find places to practice and teachers to practice practice with so that's i'm not a yoga teacher either so here we are experts very much, very much we're into experts yoga. on on yoga teaching and uh, particularly the sort of businessy aspects of being a yoga teacher but we've never been yoga teachers. <laughs> we've taught other things, but yeah, that's the short story. Yeah, we've talked to thousands of yoga teachers over the last 10 years, though, as part of running Yoga Trail, and now Ubindi. What are some of the patterns that you've noticed in these conversations, these thousands of conversations that you've had with yoga teachers? COVID has changed things pretty dramatically, but even before then, um, some typical patterns we see are uh, yoga teachers are not into business and, and, you know, often it's almost embarrassing for them to try to get paid properly. Um, they do what they do because they love sharing um, yoga practices with people and getting people deeper into yoga and the sort of 
managerial slash marketing and business aspects of things they find often um, intimidating or distasteful. Uh, that's one big pattern, I guess. Mm. They also, in our experience, tend not to be super tech savvy people. Um, you know, today, almost everything is happening online in, in all sorts of um, areas of life. Um, yoga teachers tend to be, you know, they, they'll use Facebook and they might have a website. Um, often that's something that somebody else built for them, but they're not into like rocket ship dashboards and analytics and tracking codes and, you know, writing code and stuff like that. So they're, they're generally shy when it comes to tech. Yeah, I guess, I guess one of the patterns is that before COVID, the, the whole aspect of running a yoga business was done for many yoga teachers by the studios where they were working at. And the, the yoga teachers were an essential part of what is happening at the yoga studio, but they were very hum humble about... <laughs> Well, there we go. <laughs> Sorry about the barking. They were very humble about them being a business or having a following or, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, pre-COVID, um, the studios were basically managing things and yoga teachers would show up to teach um, and not deal with taking money or or advertising their classes and stuff i mean in, in some cases the more successful teachers would um negotiate some kind of compensation scheme where they get paid in proportion to the number of people that show up for class and so it was upon them to try to build a bigger following and stuff like that but generally um yeah the, the studios were in charge and, and the studio model was such that uh, roughly 80% of all revenues coming in would go to the studio because they had massive overheads like paying rent and, and keeping up a, a facility and, and, and that kind of stuff. But that is uh, changing and it's certainly changed in the last seven or eight months. Tell me what changes you've noticed. Well, on Yoga Trail, the biggest change that we've noticed is that many of the yoga studios that were there as businesses are just no longer there. Either they're on hold or they have permanently closed their doors. So that changes drastically the, the landscape of what a yoga teacher's life is going to be like. Yeah, I mean, it was tough before lockdowns and social distancing and stuff. There was huge amounts of um, saturation in the market in the U.S. in particular, but also in Europe and around the world. Um, yoga studios were competing you know, to get people in the door and lowering their prices and offering specials. And, and uh, a lot of yoga teachers were teaching for very little money. Some, I mean, early early stage yoga teachers often would start off teaching for free, if you, if you can believe it. Um, and so it was tough before. And the average lifetime of a yoga studio up until 2019 was three years. Um, that's just statistics. Like if you open a yoga studio... On average, three years later, you're forced to close your doors. Um, now it's very difficult. So half the businesses, the brick and mortar um, studios, they are shut down or at greatly reduced capacity because of you know having to provide six feet or two meters distance between people. Um, it's going to be very tough for them to keep going. Even after things go back to normal, whatever normal means and after COVID um, 
because people are really getting into this online yoga stuff. Right. So, so that's the other huge change is that everything seems to be happening online now. And that's, you know, whereas people before could rely on going to a studio and having a class that would be in person. Now what they can rely on is having an online class. So I guess the civil, silver lining of all that for yoga teachers is that everybody is more comfortable with technology as they, you know, than they were before. And the, the yoga teachers have an opportunity to take their business online now. Yeah, and it seems like there are more yoga teachers who are taking charge of their own teaching and being less reliant on other platforms, other channels, other people to provide them with work. One of the patterns that I noticed a lot, and I don't know if you guys would have been exposed to this exactly with your platform, with Yoga Trail, was that yoga teachers would actually run from studio to studio, that they would be employed by multiple studios, none of the studios giving them enough work to make a living. So they're, they have this gym over here, this studio over here, maybe a, a few private clients over here. And so they have all of these comp competing interests that they're trying to juggle as they create their schedule. And they never seem to be able to put their own interests first, right? They have all of these other employers who treat them like an employee, but pay them as a contractor. And, you know, I have had um, a interview with a lawyer, an episode I did with a lawyer who talked about the difference between being an employee and being a contractor. And one of the things about being a contractor is you're self-employed. And so your own interests need to come first as a contractor. So that's been an interesting dynamic that I've observed over the past few decades of being in the yoga world is you know, trying to, trying to juggle multiple employers is very different from trying to juggle multiple clients. So this seems to be changing where, especially as all the studios are closing and yoga teachers are more starting to see themselves as empowered to create their own offerings, which I think is really cool. I'm interested too about one of the comments that you made earlier about this humility both humility and also this sense that business is a little icky. And so yoga teachers, I think, have wanted to outsource the business part and say, okay, you studio owners, you take care of that kind of sleazy side of business. And I'm just going to focus on teaching yoga. And I get to kind of feel not superior because I think you're right that there is a lot of humility involved in this, but I get to feel pure. <laughs> but unfortunately, what happens with this is that by completely outsourcing the business, one, you become disempowered, and two, you don't have any influence or you have very little influence over the ethics of how the business is run, right? So that you have yoga studios, some of them perhaps behaving unethically, and the teachers having either a disconnect where they're in denial about it or a disconnect where they don't feel like they have any say in <laughs> influencing that. So I really hope that this move into yoga teachers taking more ownership over their offerings actually elevates the ethics of the profession as well. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, you bring up basically three, maybe four 
big um, topics. So yes, the teachers were always really independent contractors, freelancers who were not getting health insurance or salaries or you know the typical things that one gets as an employee, um, which is kind of good at, at this point because no big change is required for a yoga teacher to adapt to the to the new world. And yes, they were outsourcing lots of things to the studio. I mean, the studio, we don't want to sort of poop on them. They they did important things, not just providing an, a nice space and maybe some showers and stuff like that, but really being very organized, um, retaining clients and engaging them to come to class and doing marketing and, and various other things. Um, but I actually don't see any reason for studios to exist in the world where people are teaching online like i i can't imagine what they could bring to the table except for being a little bit organized um this can easily be managed by teachers and now they're being sort of forced into taking on these extra roles and and a lot of teachers may be intimidated uh, by that and and maybe are hoping well no the world will go back to how it was before i just like you know going to class and teaching and and let other people handle the business stuff. But you're right, it's it's disempowering. Um, and we, so Alex and I are entrepreneurs and, and our whole philosophy behind everything we do is to empower micro entrepreneurs to be successful as entrepreneurs. And this is, in, in our opinion, this is the time for teachers now. Um, and it's a great time, potentially, there's, there are vast opportunities for teachers to to do better ethically, as you as you alluded to, um, to really just teach what they want to teach, their personal style, their you know special thing. Like studios, before we're saying, okay, well, you're going to teach vinyasa, and it's going to be you know very vanilla because we have to appeal to the kinds of people that come to our studio. Teachers who do their own thing are in charge of what they're teaching, how they're teaching, how they relate to their clients. Uh, and it's very empowering from that standpoint, but also financially. They have an opportunity, first of all, to collect all revenues that people pay. So even if online classes tend to be um, cheaper per head, um, there's huge opportunity to, to make much better money uh, when teaching a yoga class. And there's a huge opportunity to reach a lot more people where before you had to, as you said, run around from studio to studio in your town. And you could only reach the people that were local to you. So, or, you know, maybe the next town over, or if you were traveling somewhere, then you'd have to reach the people there. But now with the online teaching, I think a teacher could, could use tools and social media to reach people that are really all over the world. So that's really interesting because if a yoga teacher has a certain style or a certain a certain kind of niche that they want to teach to um, then the world is their oyster because everybody could take their classes you don't have to be there in person you know if you're into heavy metal music and some weird special thing where there maybe would be five people in your town or city that would be into that um, with online teaching you can now find lots and lots of people who may be, you know, in different uh, states or, or even in different countries uh, and build up a, a wonderful, sizable um, student base um, that, that really is into exactly the kind of yoga that you are, that you are offering and it wasn't possible before.
Yeah, I think that there are tremendous opportunities there. At the same time, to reach those people is a bit more complex than it first appears. It's actually not complicated, but it's not easy at the same time. And a lot of yoga teachers, especially those that you talked about earlier, who in the past have really wanted to outsource all the business aspects of their business, it can feel very overwhelming to take this on. So I think that we have probably quite a variety of teachers, some of whom are like really going for it, others who are kind of hesitant but open to it, and others who are probably still very resistant and, you know, like you said, waiting it out and hoping that things are going to go back to normal. Now, it doesn't sound like you think that things are going to return to normal. I'm curious, do you think that the studios are going to completely disappear? What do you think is going to happen with studios in the future? Um, Perhaps not completely, but the problem is that not only are people a little bit more scared about being with other people in a room, uh, you know, maybe things will go back to normal in the sense that we're not be afraid of each other anymore. I certainly hope so. (laughs) But people are really liking the convenience of opening their computer laptop and taking a yoga class from their room. And the teachers are really liking not having to drive across town and, you know, running around from studio to studio or to gym and, and all this other stuff. Um, and so that, that stuff is here to stay. The, the people who were before not very comfortable with Zoom or other kind of online tech stuff, you know, lots of seniors who hadn't used the internet that much before. Well, that's all, that's a problem that's been solved now because they've all been forced to, to deal with things online. And so that I don't, I don't know if there's anybody who doesn't know what zoom is or how to use it and and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I don't think things are going to go back to normal. We've, we've, things were going this way before, right? Everyone has their face buried in their phone all the time and people were becoming more and more sort of online um, beings and whether you like it or not, I personally am saddened by that, right? I love human interaction and touching people and all that kind of stuff. But regardless of whether you like it or not, it's just how it is. And we've just been accelerated further into this um, online world um, because of COVID. But even after COVID, it's just moved things, sort of accelerated our, our evolution to do things online. And that's where we are. Yeah, I think also one of the big reasons why people used to go to a yoga studio is to kind of get a sense of community, you know, like, you know, the people that you're, you, you start to get to know the people that you practice with and you, you feel a little community of, you know, the students that are taking classes with this teacher. And what we see is that there are many teachers who are very successful at, at recreating that experience online. So in their Zoom classes, they'll, they'll have that experience of community that people can talk to each other. And, and so maybe in that way, people are not really totally losing out by taking a class that is online. You're not feeling completely isolated in the same way that you would take uh, a class if you were just like watching a, a, a YouTube class, but you actually get the interaction by taking an online class. So we're not making this up. I mean, we've talked to a lot of people in the past several months and they all say they definitely plan to keep doing their own thing and certainly keep doing the online teaching, even if the world goes totally back to the way it was and all the studios are still open and all these 
classes are happening in the studios. So they're, they're really liking it. And um, if that's the case, that means there are going to be a lot fewer people actually traveling to a yoga studio and, and walking in the door, which means it will be very tough for these studios to, you know, fill the classes and be able to pay the rent and, and all the other overhead that they have. Now, I think, though, that because you are so heavily in the online space, that that's a perspective that's a little bit skewed because I'm also hearing from people who are opening new studios right now and students who are excited to get back to in person and hearing from studio owners who have opened back up and all their classes are full. So, I mean, I definitely agree that things are changing and that the online stuff is here to stay. I'm, I am not sure that I share um, your, your thoughts on the prognosis of studios. I think there are probably still going to be a place for them. Although what I notice happening across all industries right now is that weak business models are failing. So businesses that don't have a strong business model, meaning that they don't have padding, they don't have diversification, they don't have the ability to, you know, they're, they're kind of bloated and they have high overhead. Those types of businesses are just closing left and right. Lots of restaurants fall into that category. Lots of yoga studios fall into that category. And so there's going to be a little bit of a, a reset that happens. And what I hope is that the businesses that take their place are a little smarter, <laughs> you know, and perhaps have some diversification as far as digital plus in-person, you know, the ability to tap into the best of both worlds. I think you're right that we're very focused on what's happening online and, uh, you know, that's what we hear from this, the, the studios that we know that are closing or that are in difficulty but for sure i mean if the businesses are able to sustain this themselves and you know to to diversify with um on in-person classes and online classes then i think it's great and like maybe it's just a question of having to revise a bit how things are done and how the business can work but if it can work then uh, we're all for it for sure no sure so our, our customers our clients our users are all yoga teachers, yoga studios, and yoga students. We've just launched a new product called Ubindi, which is a sort of admin support for teachers. And we built it for in-person classes only. And we were ready to launch in March um, when COVID hit. And so we adapted it to be able to support online classes too. Um, but our whole perspective has been on the ground, brick and mortar um, yoga teachers and, and studios. So Yoga Trail, the platform, uh, the big one actually doesn't work with online classes. So we have a problem where everything is geolocated, right? If you look for yoga in Boston or Washington or in France, um, the site will give you lots and lots of classes to go to, but you can't look for online on Yoga Trail. So we're really just telling you what we see um, from our conversations with lots and lots of um, yoga businesses out there. And I'm surprised to hear you say that some yoga studios are opening and the classes are all full and stuff like that. Um, I guess we'll have to see how that goes um, moving forward. Yeah, I'm surprised too. It's definitely, um, it's interesting to see, you know, yoga actually touches many different populations. It depends on kind of who your people are, how people are approaching this 
era. And some people are very uh, skeptical of all of the restrictions and really excited to uh, to assert their independence and to show their fearlessness. I also think that it's a level of privilege to be able to isolate. And once you don't have that privilege, then it wouldn't make sense for you to be living in a state of fear all day, every day as you go to your grocery store job. So it makes sense to me that, you know, depending on our level of privilege, we're going to have different levels of caution um, that are sustainable for us to hold on to on a daily basis. And I am really interested to hear that you said that Ubindi was originally for in-person classes, because that's really a great example of a very skillful pivot. And I'm curious how, so tell us a little bit about Ubindi. You said it's a client management or technology management program for yoga teachers. It's basically a set of online tools that um, empower independent teachers to take care of, you know, all the aspects of running a business that we were talking about before that normally teachers would have outsourced to a studio. So all the admin stuff, you know, posting your classes, taking registration, taking attendance, payments, communicating with your students, maintaining a, a student list and um, being able to send them emails, all, all these kind of boring bits that people would have done with pen and paper or their own personal email or, you know, other kind of kludge together systems. So that's what Ubindi does for teachers. It's basically mind body for teachers, but super uh, light and intuitive and not as complicated and, and way cheaper. <laughs> way cheaper. Um, and it's right now it has mostly yoga teachers using it, um, but it's actually for any kind of teacher. Our vision is to empower anyone who has skills or passions that they uh, want to share with groups of people in, in some kind of a classroom um, setting, uh, basically to provide admin tools for them. So you guys, how long has this been available? How long have people been using Ubindi? Uh, Ubindi launched in April. late April. Yeah. And um, so it's pretty new. Um, we now have, as of this morning, 928 people using it. They really love it, and um, we're really excited where that's going. When people are using Ubindi, and they reach out to the tech support, and they reach out to the help, what is it that they're still struggling with? Like, what is, where's, where's the barrier for them? What's going easily for them? And what is it that you're seeing, like, a lot of requests for that you're like, okay, we know we're going to need to adapt this software because this is what we're, these are the questions we're still getting. Um, all sorts of stuff. I mean, people are asking for new features. So we, we built Ubindi to really handle the essentials, right? You can create classes that can happen in a, in a brick and mortar location with an address or online and you can use Zoom or Google Meet or anything else. It just plugs right into that. Um, and then all the basics with waivers and registrations and, and stuff like that. Um, people are asking for new features. So they want to, a lot of people want to be able to offer recorded classes like video libraries, kinds of things. And we'll be building that in November. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to embed their schedule into their own website as yep. well. That's a priority for us too. And the payment, because right now Ubindi um, uses a payment processor called Stripe which is essentially allows people to 
to take credit card payments, but people would like to have PayPal or other ways to, to pay. Because I think right now, the way yoga teachers are taking payments can be a little bit all over the place. We've talked to some people who have, who still get checks in the mail, they take Venmo, they take credit cards, they take PayPal, all sorts of different things. And so Ubindi right now just has Stripe and people I think would like to have more, more ways to take payment basically. So it seems like when I looked through Ubindi, it seems to have a little bit of a grassroots feel that it really is designed to support yoga teachers who are using their personal network and connecting on a very personal way with their students, which is great because that's what people need. That's, that's how we start. And then I'm curious, are there kind of ways to scale that a little bit? How, how does that look? Who exactly is Ubindi for? Is there a kind of a certain level of teacher or is it designed to grow with the teacher? It's for independent teachers um, who are doing their own thing and maybe small studios who might have several teachers, but it's not meant for big operations that have lots of different teachers and different rooms and they need the software to do taxing, tax, tax calculations and, and accounting and all that stuff. So it's, it's the basic stuff for, for freelancers, basically. Um, but it can scale to however large <laughs> you want to scale. Um, so the, the Ubindi is free if teachers have less than 50 students that they want to manage. And then we have uh, an upgrade that's $10 a month, um, which then lets Teachers have unlimited students, so you could have ten thousand students. Um, you can email them. You can, um, you know, get them all to sign up for classes and, and do all sorts of stuff. I think our biggest teacher at the moment has close to two thousand students. Yeah, and yeah, um, so it can yeah. it can support teachers that, you know, maybe get started with twenty students on the platform or or fewer than that, and that can just go up to, well, the sky's the limit, really. Yeah, I mean, at some point, if somebody is a super celebrity teacher and they have, I don't know, 4 million Instagram followers and 5 million YouTube followers and all this stuff, and they're, they're probably going to be using very fancy, sophisticated software and fancy newsletter software, um, that kind of stuff. And Ubindi is not that. So on Ubindi, for example, if you want to email your students, you click email and you get a, a box that lets you put in a subject line and you type what you want to send, like in your personal email program. It's not like MailChimp where you can make it pretty and add pictures and that kind of stuff. Um, so in terms of scalability, there's no limit, but I'm guessing that, you know, a real several hundred thousand dollars a year kind of yoga entrepreneur who's who's got lots of different things happening probably would not want to use Ubindi. If there was a yoga teacher listening whose studio had just closed and they were feeling nervous about doing their own thing. What advice would you have for them? Uh, I would say jump right in <laughs> and, and, and keep it simple. I mean, you, I think you, you, you can start teaching your online class and it's probably easier to start teaching your online classes with a small group of people rather than setting yourself a really high bar of I have to have 40 students or 20 students in each class. I think it's fine to start with two or three students, get used to the technology, get used to what it feels like to teach online um, and, and just basically dive right in and get started somewhere because it will get easier once you get started. Yeah, the, the 
motto is done is better than perfect. So like a lot of teachers are, like we mentioned before, thinking that they're going to write it out and they don't want to get into the online teaching. But it's not just about online teaching. Um, if the studio is down or or doesn't have um, positions or jobs, um, there are other ways like, okay, now in the, in the north of the planet, things are getting cold, but, you know, people can teach outside. Um, they can do all sorts of things. And the, the number one advice we have is do it, like do it and it won't be great or perfect. And, you know, you'll, you'll see like, like what's difficult and what has to be fixed or how are you going to adapt to this stuff? Um, but don't overthink it. Just do it and see how it goes. And basically take action is our number one advice. So when people get started, do you think it would be good to give themselves like a trial run of a certain amount of time to say, I'm just going to do it for two months and see how I feel at the end? Yeah, I mean, you can you can do it for two months or just two classes, <laughs> you know, like if your students, if your students enjoy it, if you enjoy it, if you find that it's not technically too overwhelming once you've done the first one or two class then I think you get a good idea of if that's something that could work for you as a teacher yeah I mean the big question is can it depends on the kind of um, yoga that's that's being taught can people do the real teaching without being in front of the person touching them adjusting them um, interacting with them um, and a lot of teachers are finding it that yes, that, you know, some adaptation um, makes sense, of course. Um, you talk more and, you know, basically adapt to not being able to adjust people. Mm. Um, but, but I think it's important also for the teachers to, to start with a small group of people and explain to them that this is like a trial run. And that's what some, some teachers have been doing on, on Ubindi as well. They just say, okay, let's, Let's try this together. And if the students know what to expect, you know, that this this is not going to be like a YouTube class with a celebrity teacher, but this is your teacher trying out something and you're part of this trial and and you give feedback to the teacher and then, you know, the teacher can adapt what they're doing to fit the group better. Then it's it's like a little experiment that you're doing together. And I think I think that's that's perfectly okay to start with. I love that. I think that's brilliant. So as we start to wrap up, I'd love to hear from each of you one thing that you are concerned about for the future and one thing that you're hopeful about. It's about how we see things, because this this year, I think for many people would have looked like a really tough year. You know, 2020 is coming to an end and everybody could, you know, restart 2020 in a different way. Um, but I think we can also look at 2020 and like if you're a yoga teacher or an entrepreneur, whatever you do, and to say, what did I learn this year? Um, and what can I take from this year to next year? It's like positive stuff. Um, so maybe some people will have taken their business online or, you know, there's got to be some, some things that were positive. And for me, the thing to take forward is what worked rather than what didn't work. Yeah, I'm, I'm really always have been um, looking at the economy and uh, particularly small businesses. I'm very worried that the whole world is um, going to be suffering from a severe recession for a long time, or we might call it a depression, and that things will be very difficult for small businesses. Um, 
on the other hand, I'm at the same time, I'm very hopeful and a little bit excited uh, about the opportunities for micro businesses. Um, I, I personally have always felt that yoga teachers could be doing more for themselves and that they were getting sort of the short end of the stick in the industry. We years ago, we had thought about ways to empower teachers to help them sort of rent their own venues and do their own thing long before COVID. Uh, but now I'm, I'm quite excited, actually, that yoga teachers are being forced to do that for themselves. Um, because as uncomfortable as it is, and, uh, you know, any kind of disruption is always perceived as painful or, or something. Um, it's really a great golden opportunity for independent people to do their thing and and free themselves and hopefully in an economy where restaurants or yoga studios or many 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 other businesses are having a really hard time being independent and teaching something that you're passionate about can be the way to escape not just unemployment but being employed in an office where you have to sit in a cubicle and just do what you're told because there's no other job out there or something um so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful yeah, about yeah. that it, it would be like a sense bring you a sense of freedom and maybe a sense of security in a way that you hadn't expected i suppose yeah i'm really hopeful that taking ownership of their own businesses will actually deepen the yoga teachers relationship with their students and allow them to make a bigger impact with their students because when they have more control over when where how and what they teach I think that they can do more good in the world. So that's what I'm really excited about. And thank you guys so much for coming on and for sharing your experience and your ideas. If listeners are interested in finding out more about Ubindi, how can they find out about it? Um, just go to ubindi.com, figure out how to spell it. And there's, nothing, <laughs> there's nothing else out there called Ubindi. Um, and you can just basically sign up and play around with it for, you know, with a free account. Yeah. And there's a, there's a question mark chat application on, on the website. So people can just click that and it's either one of us at the other end of it. So feel free to come say hello and ask us anything. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And we will add a link to the show notes for this episode. Thank you guys again. Thank you awesome. very much. It was a pleasure. Okay, my friend, I hope you enjoyed that conversation and that it gave you some helpful tips and insights for how to navigate the changes and the opportunities to come. One thing I really appreciate about working for myself is the level of autonomy I have to create my own schedule. However, it can also be a double-edged sword. There's definitely the tendency to work even harder when you work for yourself. That's why I strongly encourage business owners who believe in the importance of self-care to build that priority into their business from the beginning. Some people might call this work-life balance, and part of me loves this concept, but I also think it can get taken the wrong way, as in the belief that achieving some mythical balance is actually possible, and that if you don't achieve it, you're failing. Please let go of that story if you have it. Work-life balance is something to aspire to, but probably not achieve. Aspiration is positive when it keeps you paying attention and course correcting, but it's not so great when it prevents you from appreciating what you have now. 
What I have now is a business I love and the opportunity to spend a lot of my working time in creation mode, which is amazing. I'm so grateful for this. Am I spending as much time as my family as is my own ideal? No, I'm not, frankly. But there will be other seasons for that. And what I'm creating right now, I'm creating it with the intention to make those seasons possible. So my question to you, dear yoga teacher, what is your current level of pressure? Is it within the range that motivates you without causing you to become paralyzed or frantic? If you are close to feeling overpressured, is any of that self-generated? And is there anything you could just let go of? As much as I love setting goals and having aspirations, there does come a point in time when those self-determined goals can actually cause more harm than good. Part of the joy and the benefit of having a home practice, a personal practice, is that it's a chance to really check in with yourself. And one of the things that you are checking in with is that level of pressure. Is it a healthy amount or not so healthy amount? And if it's getting too far off balance, ask yourself, where is there room to let go a bit? Could it be by pushing back a deadline or asking for some grace or simply letting go of an expectation you have of yourself like a clean house? I definitely do not have all the answers here. What I think is more important is asking the question. So that is my invitation to you today, dear yoga teacher. Keep asking yourself those questions. Aspire to that work-life balance, but cut yourself some slack if you're not there. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for caring enough to stick with teaching yoga through this crazy time. Check back next week for another episode of Knowledge, Techniques, and Inspiration for your teaching and your practice.